Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Oh, yeah. It is Album Nerds Podcast time. We've had a little bit of an extended vacation, and we are back, and we're ready to rock. I'm Dude. Got Andy and Don with me. Gentlemen, are you ready to rock? What up, brother? Yeah, I'm feeling uh, pretty well rested. Uh, got, uh, got my microphone turned around the right way now. Apologize for the last couple of weeks here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those of you that didn't notice, besides the fact that we were off for two weeks, a couple of shows before that, Andy was having some technical difficulties with the microphone and had it turned around the wrong way. So you were all robbed of that warm, familiar tickle that only Andy can bring to your eardrums. So uh, hopefully that'll be back, right? <laughs> you don't get all the vibrations you're used to, but they're back. <laughs> Don. Hello. What's up? <laughs> Glad to be here after a, a seemingly long layoff. All right. Yeah. So we are the album nerds. We enjoy listening to albums and the album format. We like to talk about them as well. What's so funny? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, I obviously like to talk about them. It's a podcast. Man. This is the Album Nerds Podcast. We hate albums. We don't like talking about them. And <laughs> there you go. We talk about three albums this week. We're answering a question, spinning the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week, we're talking about late career masterpieces <gasps> or not. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah, so uh, by late career masterpieces, uh, we mean uh, an album released in an artist's career, uh, basically years after what might be regarded as their their creative peak. It doesn't necessarily need to be the the best work uh, in an artist catalog. That's it's actually my fault for um, kind of wording this the the wrong way. So I, I had submitted this uh, for in- inclusion in the the wheel of musical destiny, and I think the word I should have chosen is maybe triumph a, a late career triumph yeah I, I think the the three albums we picked today probably fit that description better yeah you should have to walk the streets <laughs> for shame with the bell ringing we should have to we should People have some are, sort uh, of um, like penalty box punishment, or something. yeah for yeah properly worded submissions yeah i think sandwich board with the bell through the streets of wherever your hometown is seems about right do re- mm-hmm. you have to review a hootie and the blowfish album <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeez, sorry, wow. Hootie fans. And Darius Rucker, if you're listening, I sincerely apologize. That's a big part of our fan base, actually. Let him cry. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this this was an interesting category. A lot of possibilities, but also trying not to overstep. You know, like I considered Audio Slave, uh, Chris Cornell. That was He was in his 30s. He was, his solo album was kind of meh in between Soundgarden and that, but... Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that really totally qualified and yeah so I did get I did listen to a lot of albums which was cool and fun but uh yeah yeah this was a little tougher than I thought what about you guys I'll mention a couple others I was considering I mean we we talked about quite a bit David Bowie's Black Star and Leonard Cohen's You Want It Darker those are both I think awesome examples of of what you can do late in your career so yeah, uh, those are a couple I was considering. It is tough, man, because a lot of these records, I don't know if they're, as Donna was saying, they're not maybe not their artist's best work, but it's kind of a surprise to see them kind of come back up again. So they're interesting to consider in the landscape of this artist's output. Yeah, like let's say it's not at the bottom of their discography. You know, <laughs> they're to rate all their albums. <laughs> We're really setting the bar pretty low for these records, huh? <laughs> 
It's not the worst, and it came later in their career. <laughs> we started a masterpiece, yeah, yeah. and now we're like, yeah, it's not the worst of the worst. So. When I came up with this theme, I was thinking about records like that that Warren Zevon, Life Will Kill Ya. I was thinking about Johnny Cash, like all the the American uh, recordings. Yeah. But we've exhausted yeah, all of those yeah. <laughs> avenues already. <laughs> yeah. And there's... Um, I thought about the the recent Gary Newman Intruder, but I just did synth pop in the, the last show, uh, so I, I didn't want to do that. And uh, actually, Nick Cave has had a really good run of records, um, like in the last decade, and I think maybe any of them could have qualified. That's a good point. Well, we've uh, talked about the topic probably more than we're going to talk about the albums. So why don't we uh, get to the music? You choo choo choose me. <laughs> So for my late career triumphs, going with a record from this year, actually, from April 2022 from artist Horace Andy. The album is entitled Midnight Rocker. We are going to play a little bit of the opening cut. This must be hell. Kind of spitting in the face of Belinda Carlisle there, isn't he? Heaven is a place on earth. (laughs) Well done. Yeah, take that, Belinda. (laughs) Ooh. Um, All right, so Horace Andy is a roots reggae singer slash songwriter from Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, He was born Horace Hines, a.k.a. Sleepy. That was a good, good nickname. I first came to my attention back in the 90s as part of the group Massive Attack, if you guys recall that trip-hop group, and that was kind of a popular genre. Uh, He was a big part of their sound, but his career really started back in the 70s, part of a roots reggae artist. Um, He had a couple big singles. Uh, Oh yeah, dude, putting you on the spot here. He played a little bit of uh, Government Land to give some some context to the people. Government cheese? Government Land. Government Land. (laughs) (laughs) So much more of a traditional reggae sound, I would say, from earlier in his career. But yeah, the guy's been doing it for over 50 years now. He's uh, 71. He's put out this record, which has received pretty wide acclaim. Yeah, so my three words to describe it were gray, dreaded wisdom. He's got some... Some pretty dope, the photo on the album cover is a pretty dope photo of, of him with some nice uh, gray sort of salt and pepper dreadlocks there. I think this record, he brings a lot of kind of wisdom and experience to his lyrics and uh, the sound in general, I think, is a little bit different, a little more of a modern take on a more uh, dub influence sound um, here in the distressional reggae, which I think is cool. That's in large part thanks to producer Adrian Shearwood, who is a big part of the sound here. But you guys, what did you what did you think, uh, Don? Well, I my three words were a uh, voice of experience. So I, I was really Im- impressed by by his vocals. I get the the sleepy thing. You know, I, I think there's uh, maybe just a relaxed tone to it to his voice, uh, which which I like. But yet, it still has some urgency to it. I'm not sure how to describe that. He sounds like a, a wise older man. 
uh, which which I think is kind of the uh, fits the spirit of this this theme. I, I think it's nice when you have an artist who's now you know twenty years later in life, you know, talking about you know, the experiences that that uh, you know he or she has had. Uh, so uh, I love his voice, and I really like the incorporation of the the electronic sounds. I mean, they're subtle, you know, they're they're done sparingly. And it doesn't distract from the music at all. You know, it doesn't feel like a novelty. Oh, we're going to put electronic sounds on a on a reggae track. It it actually works. It's it's seamless. So I appreciated that a, a lot. And uh, I would like to go back and, and listen to some of those massive attack records uh, with him because it might be something I, I'd like. Yeah, I'll be avoiding those, but uh, <laughs> definitely his back catalog. <laughs> I will. I'll be interested in. Yeah, my three words to describe this album were the real deal. I wasn't sure what to expect here. I hadn't heard of Horace Andy. I wish his name was Horace Dude. Then he'd be even cooler. <laughs> but I really did. I really did enjoy the. I enjoyed it from the first play. And it, I'm not a huge reggae fan. And part of the reason is I just think it gets so. The genre gets so bastardized, and people put on the accent. Which is just gross to me when, you know, people, it's okay, have a reggae beat, but you don't have to try and do the accent when it's not who you are. It's same with punk when people fake British accents, it's annoying. But I really enjoyed the realness of this as well as the perspective. And I didn't even really notice the modern elements in terms of distraction, just, um, good, good use of them as Don was, was alluding to. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and I think you guys are both right about the production. Like, it's it's just enough to kind of give it that, to make it feel like it's older, um, but it's not too much to really step on the vibe or, or ruin the uh, authenticity of the, of the reggae sound. Um, why don't we play a cut here? This was actually kind of like a reworking version of a record on Mastiff's first record back in the early 90s. It's a little bit of Safe From Harm. I'll show Got the familiar mm chaka going, which you got to have on the record. Got to have that. It's required. Yeah, it's a really cool mix of sounds, man. I mean, they have like that bass line is definitely similar to how it was back on the Mass Attack record, Blue Lines, when that came out. Um, but there's some electronic elements there, and there, obviously the reggae beat is is a part of this now. And yeah, so Sherwood, it's part of his um, career, or how he got famous kind of in the 80s and 90s, was remixing a lot of stuff. Don, I don't know if you'd recognize his name. He remixed Depeche Mode a fair amount, I guess, in the 80s and 90s. As long as groups like KMFDM and Nine Inch Nails, so kind of like that industrial sound. We also worked a lot with uh, Scratch Perry, who's, I think, just passed away earlier this year. Uh, pretty prominent reggae musician as well. Also working in like that, that dub space. So yeah, I, th- I thought this was, was, a, was a really consistent, just quality reggae adjacent record um which is probably my biggest critique of the genre as a whole like there's not a lot of great reggae albums that i've come across i mean obviously the really popular ones but it's a pretty inconsistent in terms of quality i think this record stands out in that regard um why don't we play one of the original cuts from this record um this little bit of try love Yeah, just a nice positive vibe there. I think the record as a whole is is pretty uplifting. Um, he does talk about some 
oppression, but I think it's always done in a, a pretty positive manner. Yeah, I don't know. I watched a performance of him from over the summer last night, and it was he's like up there jumping around, running on stage, did like an hour and a half set, and just crushed it. <laughs> he had like this amazing like full body onesie, like bright colored onesie on. It was a uh, it was pretty cool. I was very impressed by what he was doing at his age. So yeah, any final thoughts, guys? I haven't listened to a, a, a lot of reggae, but I always enjoy it. I mean, I pretty much just know Bob Marley. Uh, yeah, he's kind of the de facto answer for yeah. reggae. And so I, I guess anything I, I hear, I kind of you know compare to to him. But so it's nice to know that there's there's other stuff out there that's uh, that's good. And this, I mean, obviously it has some you know some Marley vibes to it, but it's um, you know definitely a, a unique sound. And I think his his vo- vocal a- a approach is kind of nuanced, and I, I love that. Yeah, definitely got one of the more unique voices in that space, which I think helps. Well, the 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 roots of reggae. And it's ties to Rastafari and then it's use largely, especially with Bob Marley, uh, although positive sounding political protest music. And I, there's a mix of that in this, in this record, which I really did enjoy. I thought all those elements, the elements I expect in true reggae were here with some new seasonings that I haven't had a, a part of that. Uh, listening experience before so awesome stuff man word up glad you guys enjoyed it uh yeah give it a chance if you haven't heard it uh midnight rocker by horace andy just came out this year definitely an interesting entry into that reggae genre excuse me i'd like to ask you a few questions and now it's time on the program when we ask ourselves a question what actors have had a late career Masterpiece, or what else are we calling it? Triumphs. <laughs> Triumphs. <laughs> Triumphs. All right, so hit me. What do you guys? What do you guys right. think? Can you think of some actors, actresses that uh, knocked it out of the park a little later? A couple of dudes came to mind um, from the last 10, 20 years. Um, do you guys remember that film, The Wrestler, with Mickey Rourke? Like, yeah, yeah. I was really impressed by that performance. Awesome. I kind of forgotten about him completely at that point, and. I think he was nominated for our best actor. I don't think he won, but I think I think he may have been at least recognized for that role. I was impressed by that. And then um Michael Keaton. He's kind of he's kind of back to almost where he was. <laughs> he's popping up everywhere. Um but remember Birdman was kind of like his breakout or return to uh the limelight after pretty extended absence in, in the early two thousands. So yeah, i I always appreciate his sense of comedy, just general quality as an actor. Yeah, I was thinking about um, Jessica Tandy. I remember like in the, the late 80s, early 90s, I feel like she was, I mean, she had like a huge run, right? There was uh, Driving Miss Daisy, uh, Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah. She was in like nobody's, I, I feel like she was, she had the old lady part um, in every major movie. <laughs> right. So, uh, so that's a good one. All the tearjerkers. Yeah. And um, he was still young at the time, but, you know, John Travolta, you know, his career basically Got relaunched oh, with, yeah. with Pulp Fiction. Is Travolta still making movies? I haven't really seen him around much lately. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like direct to pay-per-view type of a thing. I, oh, I, really? I've seen I've seen some. I no, he, yeah, he's he's still acting, but it's so weird now because there's so many outlets. There's all the streaming things, and then there's independent movies are not 
are not distributed like they used to be. So right. every time I see an actor that I'm like, oh my God, I haven't heard of them in forever. I look them up on IMDb and they have like a movie a year that I've never <laughs> heard of for the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like the Nick Cage approach. Oh yeah, he's still making movies too. Uh, an example I, I recently encountered, you know, I love Jeff Bridges, Big Dude, Lebowski, really but you know, all of his, his, his other work is, a lot of it is, is awesome as well. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's seen The Fisher King, but if you haven't, you should. That's an excellent example of his talent. But uh, The Old Man, I believe it was uh, aired on FX. It's a new show, and it's about uh, – it's Jeff Bridges is playing this retired CIA agent, and he has been hiding for years – from his enemies and it all starts to come out and he has to go on the run. It's pretty awesome. He does some pretty kick-ass uh, fight scenes. I don't know what? how much was him and how much was a stunt double, but it was, there's some pretty, some pretty good action going on in this thing. So uh, you can catch it on Hulu uh, if you have Hulu uh, plus or whatever. So go check that out. But yeah, Jeff Bridges, man. I mean, he's been in stuff, but I haven't seen anything that really, I was like, holy, that's awesome. So yeah. Jeff Bridges, that's my guy. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, uh, taking two nicknames from Jeff Bridges now, the dude and the old man. It's, it's perfect. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's hurtful. My beard is almost as gray as Jeff Bridges is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, y'all out there, why don't you name some actors, actresses with some late career masterpieces, shows, movies, maybe uh, the rest of us album nerds haven't heard of and want to check out. So please answer that question. Albumnerds.com slash Discord. I hate the snow. I hate the snow. I hate the rain and I hate the sleep. Man, I like sure it. do hate the snow. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the... Uh, uh, the album that I that I chose is uh, from from Kate Bush, uh, born Catherine Bush in July 1958 in Bexley Heath, Kent, England. This is her her tenth album, uh, Fifty Words for Snow. Uh, and I was unaware that you guys actually covered this album. And was it episode fifteen? Uh, so I another oh, lifetime done. It's no big deal. Yeah. So, so I apologize for not listening at the time. <laughs> It's no longer, well, you weren't the only one. It's no longer available. And you can thank me because I listened to a bit of it and it sucks. <laughs> uh, okay, well, so this album came out in uh, November uh, 2011. Here's a track called Misty. Uh, so my three words for this album were immersive pop ambience or ambiance, however you want to pronounce it. So, well, actually, let me just uh, explain that you know supposedly this this is uh, I think Kate Bush described it as you know seven songs set to a, a snow backdrop. So all the all the songs have you know some sort of snow or winter theme. It's it's definitely an, an interesting album. I, I do find that it's it's immersive. Uh, it does feel kind of like ambient music. Like I tend to think of ambient music as being just something in the background, you know, that sort of has, you know, barely any of your attention. But this is, you know, more immersive. And I think it's the kind of album that you that you do have to pay attention to. I, I think to to really get it. Yeah. So why don't I? Uh, why don't you guys uh, give some of your thoughts before I move on? The three words I used to describe this album were snow, snow. Snow. Oh my gosh. Are those all different words? <laughs> yeah, you should have used like three of the 50. You had 50 to pick from, bro. <laughs> Dude, 
I could have put snow, snore, snow. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. So it's good, but it's like it's like hiking. And so it's a cold day. You're out hiking in the snow. It's beautiful. It's got the, you know snow on the trees. You're wandering around. But eventually, you're just over it. You're exhausted. You're sleepy. Frostbite. Uh, hypothermia starts to, starts to set in. And you just want to go to sleep and never wake up. And that's kind of where this album left me <laughs> at times. Just curling up in a snowbank and waiting for the end. I mean, it certainly does feel like you're shivering out in the dark in the snow at times. I mean, it's atmospheric. It does what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But what it does is not pleasing to me, I guess is how <laughs> okay. I would put it. But artistic, artistically and everything, it's it's got a lot going for it. The Elton John vocal is comical, and, and Elton John shouldn't be comical. Yeah. I think that Elton John Jack is probably my only critique of this record. I really like this. Maybe more than both of you guys seem to. <laughs> I think it's quite, quite <laughs> excellent. Um, my three words are Transcendental Snow Odyssey. You know, for kind of obvious reasons, it sort of feels to me like kind of a meditation on on winter and more of the season than participation precipitation itself. <laughs> and talk this morning, man. It's both. We're pers- we're participating in precipitating <laughs> here on the. Yes, we are. <laughs> Fifty words for snow. No, I think it's. I really like this record. I think it's probably the closest of the three that we picked to being a masterpiece. It, it sticks right into this this sort of ambient wintry landscape sound that she's creates on the first track snowflake and with the exception of that snowden at wheeler street with john with elton john i think it really stays on that that track pretty pretty well and i think it works beautifully i find it really captivating especially it's a more bad phone record than a blasted out your car speakers kind of record but i think in that regard it's a big success my perspective yeah i mean back when this came out i heard a lot of people like pumping that bass driving around <laughs> just blasting this yeah but. really <laughs> cracks in the whip man <laughs> okay well let's uh let's hear some more from the album uh this is a wild man the vocals uh on that no, it's not CeeLo Green. Um, it's actually uh, Andy. <laughs> it's Andy Fairweather Lowe, who actually I, I know from, uh, you know, he played guitar with, uh, you know, Pink Floyd and the, the various solo members mm. uh, who I won't mention by name. <laughs> uh, and so that one, I, I believe, is I think that I think that's the one that's about the snowman that's melting like after a hot. You know, after a hot affair or something. And then, uh, well, let's uh, let's listen to the one that you guys. Wait, wait. Yeah, we can't let that go. Hold on. <laughs> the snowman was having sex with another snow person? That, that's what I was trying to imply, but poorly. I missed it. <laughs> was it. How graphic was it? I'll go back and listen to it again. <laughs> Dude is very interested. Is this a boudoir tune that I could, uh, me and the wife could put on and yeah, man. have some fun? No? Yes? That carrot nose out and- Good to go. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I usually wear a top hat during <laughs> during anyway, so that that works out fine. And a pipe sometimes, so we're good. I bet there is a portion of the internet devoted to like snowman themed things. Probably. Oh, to stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you guys, uh, uh, you keep mentioning this uh, Elton John track, so why don't we uh, why don't we give the the audience a, a taste of it? Uh, this is uh, snowed in at Wheeler Street. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose you. 
it's just very it's very meatloafy. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what you said back in episode 15. Uh, really? <laughs> Pretty positive. I didn't listen to it that much of it. Consistent. Yeah, uh, I don't hate that track as much as uh, you guys. I, I think it maybe just provided some relief on the album. It does. You know, some yeah. some pop relief. Yeah. Um, so I remember sort of welcoming, you know, that that more like a uh, accessible track. I think it's the context. I think if the album were were not full but had more of that, if that was kind of if the songs were structured more like that, I probably it would have been more acceptable. But when when you've got ten minute ambient new age kind of songs going on and then you get this it just sounds overly dramatic all of a sudden it's like a snowball in the face kind of unexpected (laughs) (laughs) so um i i'm not that familiar with the the kate bush catalog of course now running up that hill because of stranger things is uh you know it had a, a resurgence and i i used to like the track that was on the she's having a baby soundtrack i think uh this woman's work you guys know that one the, I should be crying, but I just can't let it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, yes, I I liked the <laughs> I preferred the Maxwell version of that personally to your version and and to Kate Bush's version. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, this uh, I I think I agree with everything you guys have said. I I do feel like it's it's it definitely plays long. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to cut it by about 20 minutes, but I do think it achieves what it sets out to do. You know, it captures this wintry feel, uh, it captures that, that mood. So it's, it's well done, you know, from a, you know, an artistic perspective. Um, yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, this is an album for the right time, the right mood. It's not a summertime beach record. It's a snowman sex okay. record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so next time you want to put the moves on a snowman, you know which record to pull out? <laughs> oh, there's someone out there that will. <sighs> I gotta give a, a quick shout out to the drummer on this record, who's from my hometown, uh, Steve Gad. He's a pretty well-known session musician. Him and Bush are really the main two musicians on this record. So, just wanted to mention. His uh, quality contributions are. Yeah, and there are uh, other um, interesting guests uh, on the record. Kate Bush's son uh, sings on the the first track. Uh, well, of course, you had Elton John, and then you had the the one song I should mention is is called fit the the title track Fifty Words for Snow." Um, you've got the actor Stephen Fry, which you uh, if you look him up, you'll probably recognize his face if you watched um, you know anything made in the UK in the past you know thirty years. Um, but it's just him kind of reading off names for for snow any of which the dude could have used for his three words literally tells you the answers my point was it's called snow (laughs) there aren't 50 words it's just snow (laughs) there's 50 shades of gray but there are not 50 words for snow but there are and maybe that snowman was doing some of those shades of gray i don't know (laughs) (laughs) if you ever see a snowman with a blindfold on keep walking Let's take an unexpected turn. <laughs> yeah, that got gross. <laughs> uh, okay, so that was uh, Kate Bush with her 10th album, 50 Words for Snow. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? 
want to share your great musical tastes, join us on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest topics for the show, and to get a sneak peek at what we're working on next. Tell me about yourself, Jeffrey. Well, oh, music business briefly. Oh? Yeah. Well, Rhodey from Metallica. Oh. Speed of sound tour. Bunch of assholes. <laughs> All right, so thanks, dude. We'll be talking about Metallica again. I can't stop myself, apparently. <laughs> this is Death Magnetic, the ninth studio album, released September 12, 2008, produced by Rick Rubin. Why don't we jump in with the first single from the album, The Day That Never Comes. We're going to do a couple of little pieces, one for the intro and then one for when the song Signature Metallica change-ups. All right, so that's, you know, that's the Metallica that I love. Three words I used to describe this album were thrash, melody, and words. <laughs> um, they use their words a little more effectively on this album than the previously... Almost universally hated and panned St. Anger album from uh, a few years before. They just communicate better on this on this record. And they go back to the thrash sound. They go back to using some melody and songs like this, which harken back to songs like One, uh, Welcome Home Sanitarium, Fade to Black. And they've got that great mix of their little balladry and some of the stuff they've learned along the way to become more complete musicians than in the early days when they were just thrashers. This is a, a really good example of, of what they can do when they put all their experience together and make an album with some thrash, with some melody, and with some words that we can actually understand and relate to. Guys, what do you think of Death Magnetic? I would generally agree with you. I think it's probably one of their better records of this period of their career. Um, my three words were Hammett Back from the Grave, because I think that's... What I enjoy most about this record is, is Kurt Hammett, the lead guitarist, uh, really unleashes some pretty dope solos, and you didn't get that for a lot of this part of their career. Like that was, for whatever reason, kind of edited out a lot of their '90s and early 2000s work. So I, I think that that part is particularly great. You know, Rick Rubin's kind of doing his Rick Rubin thing, getting people back to basics, which is cool. But you know, they, you can't go back. I mean, these guys are like 30 years older than they were when they recorded those first few records, and they sound it a little bit, especially Lars. Ugh. <laughs> but, Overall, I did. Are you a Lars like hater? You don't like his drumming. I don't dislike him as much in the earlier stuff, but this part of his career, yeah, I just find it so boring. I just think it sounds like he's trying to destroy the drums that he's hitting them so hard, and I I appreciate yeah. that. It's passion. It's a hard, yeah. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Don? <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I did the thing where I just pick a song title for the three words. So I, I did All Nightmare Long. But, uh, you know, when I think of Metallica at its best, I, I feel like, you know, they're producing a, a nightmare for you. And, you know, you mentioned Sane Anger. I feel like with with that album, it, they didn't capture the drama like they do when they're at their best. Like Master of Puppets just has like these 
you know, these beautiful, like, big moments that are in the midst of all this, this thrash. And I, I think they're, they're back to that again on this album. So I agree with Andy that, you know, maybe it's not quite as magical as those early albums. You know, maybe you just can't recreate the magic, but it, I mean, this is what I want from Metallica, you know, and they, they deliver. Yeah. So it's, it's good. And then, you know, the complaint I have about like every modern album is just, it's long. You know, I mean, you've, you've, I forgot how many songs it is, but each of them's six or seven minutes, which I like. Um, I like that they, they have room to breathe, but I feel like you could cut the album in half. You know, Master of Puppets is just, it's an auditory assault for like 40 minutes or 35 minutes and, and it's over. And I think, you know, this album would have been better served that way. All right. So, uh, Don, since you brought up All Nightmare Long, why don't we listen to a little clip from that? Yeah. It's not a Metallica album unless you got a ta on there. And uh, that song yeah. is chock full of luck runs out. <laughs> so you're saying you thought that the lyrics were improved over, over where they were at previously. Yeah. I mean, specifically St. Anger. I mean, for the most part, Metallica tries to keep them kind of vague so that they are open to listener interpretation. And a lot of these songs, like uh, The Day That Never Comes and Unforgiven 3, that's right, a third Unforgiven, <laughs> are about disenfranchisement, uh, struggling with, with life, with relationships, with love, with abuse. But you can kind of make it fit whatever thing is happening in your life, which uh, is supposedly i've seen in many interviews james hetfield says is his goal uh but all nightmare long is specifically referring to uh the hounds of tindalos uh these wolves that hunt through nightmares um kind of harkening back to some of the older songs like call of cthulhu and the thing that should not be hp lovecraft type stuff but like St. Anger, I'm madly in anger with you. And the lyrics were just strung together phrases and there was no flow to anything. Metallica are not lyrical geniuses, right? They, they, they're not trying to be. They're just humans with anger issues. And I think that they were able to take those anger issues and express them in an understandable and relatable way. You know, it had been so long too since we got that. We had St. Anger, which was therapy gone wrong. We had the cover album, the Garage Inc. stuff. We had the symphony orchestra stuff. It had been so long since we had heard any... It had been like 10 years since we'd heard any honest, clear, Metallica-esque music. And, and that's why I think this is a triumph. Yeah, definitely a return to form for them. Yeah, Metallica, they're not, they're not known to being poetic. I don't think you would expect that in this genre anyway but i guess this is a step above where they where they're usually at well i i agree like i i don't have high expectations for for metallica lyrics i i just don't want them to be cringy um and i remember like on saint anger there was stuff like you know my lifestyle informs my death style <laughs> determines or, my death or, style. Yeah, that's what <laughs> and that stuff was my lifestyle <laughs> determines my death style the rising tide uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so this uh, i don't really remember yeah, nothing like struck me as being lame or, or anything and i like the idea of sort of death being a, a magnet that's sort of like pulling you along i i love that that kind of imagery so 
in uh, the final track, My Apocalypse, is where we kind of get some death magnetic references. Why don't we listen to the end part of My Apocalypse? And um, what I really loved about this was how this album ended. It's not often that albums these days end with a with a boom, you know, and the abrupt ending to this has always made me go want to listen to it again. Yeah, so 74 minutes of an album is long, but for some reason it seems to go fast. I think it's because and it, I don't know. For me, it was quick and then when that song's over, I'm ready. I'm ready for another round. I'd forgotten how much I liked this album, actually. Because when I go back to listen to Metallica, typically I end up back at the beginning, right? So and I think a lot of fans probably do that. I think it's worth yeah. remembering that they've made some good records later on, and this is certainly one of them. Death Magnetic, being drawn ever forward to that frightening day when you don't open your eyes. So go check out the album <laughs> if you haven't heard it. Metallica, Death Magnetic. A triumph. For me, it's a poop on. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen, why don't we talk about what we learned in this triumphant journey that we took? Well, I guess, you know, I was expecting these records to be better than they were. (laughs) With the exception of the Kate Bush record, I think they're all all pretty good. But I think kind of like Don alluded to at the beginning... You know, I think our expectations maybe were just really low for these artists at the time, or we weren't we kind of written them off as being done with their career. So these were kind of like a nice little surprise. Got something else for you. And they're all pretty different than what they had been doing if they had been active, which is interesting. How people change up their sound, especially if you've been doing things for a few decades. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm glad Dude brought a uh, Rick Rubin produced album because I, I think he's sort of become synonymous with. Kind of reinvigorating people's careers, uh, of course, with Johnny Cash. I think he did it. He did a Neil Diamond record as well. He's been doing mm-hmm. the Chili Pepper albums, you know. So yeah, well, yeah, and he was the producer for the Slayer records in the early days too, which kind of gives him the cred to to work with another thrash band. I think he has a knack, and I think maybe Andy alluded to this of getting artists to sort of go back to the to their basics or you know figuring out what is it that people like about you or what is it that you do best and you know letting you run with that and you know maybe that's you know part of the reason why it uh, you know just has that 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 energy uh, again that was that was lacking before all three of these are examples of of continuing to move forward while dipping your toe in the past and and not all artists can pull that off and i think these are examples of of people doing what they do well. And uh, I think considering how broad this idea is, are these their best albums? Probably not. But I think we did really well. I I think these are three good albums. Even though I didn't super enjoy the Snow album, doesn't mean it's not good. That's just one guy's opinion. So I I encourage all y'all to go listen to these records and then go try and find your own that fit this kind of loose category we came up with and then hit us up, albumnerds.com slash discord. And that's One to Grow. I'm your density. Time to put fate in the hands of a robot. Give that wheel of musical destiny a spin. Get out the old wadbot. 
Your musical destiny is to explore southern rock albums. <sighs> this is definitely a dude Semitic category. Well, you got a problem with that? <laughs> no, I like southern rock. What's your favorite Southern rock album? To what else are you listening? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds Podcast. Check us out next time when we talk about Southern rock albums. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you then. I'm going to do 50 words for goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Adieu. Bye-bye. Godspeed. Cheerio. Ciao. Toodaloo. Aloha. Farewell. Ta-ta. Arrivederci. Sayonara. Good day. Okay, I don't actually have 50. That's all I got. <laughs> Did you come with all those on top of your head? No. I went to the internet. <laughs>